Welcome to the aggressive life. Who, who didn't want to be a cowboy when they were growing up? Who didn't want to have their own horse when they were growing up? Who didn't want to learn how to take a rope and wrestle people, hassle people, whatever the heck it was? Anthony Lucia was born to be a cowboy. As a young child, he toured America alongside his hero and father, Tommy Lucia, a cowboy and rodeo Hall of Fame entertainer. It was here that Anthony learned to ride and rope, but even more important, he learned the power of hard work, grit, and perspective. He started performing in the rodeos himself as a child and was doing live interviews by the time he was a teenager. He becomes a professional trick roper and team roper in his early 20s, and since then, he's added a live event announcer to his resume for PRCA Pro Rodeo, America's largest and oldest professional rodeo circuit, and sports broadcaster for Western TV to his resume. Uh, Anthony's an impressive and determined man. He's going out to make his own positive dent in the world one rodeo at a time. So today, we're going to talk about the cowboy work ethic talk about being a man outside the shadow of your father, or maybe you should be inside the shadow of your father. I don't know. I'm curious what he says about that. Welcome to the aggressive life, Anthony Lucia. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You picked one of three ways to say my name, my last name. So I appreciate the, uh, that, that the one that you did pick. That's did I, yeah. Did I say it the right way? Uh, one of there's three right ways is there's Lucia which is the way that we're known in rodeo. And then there's Lucia, which is the Italian way. Um, and then there's Lucia, which is the way that you just said it. And, and, and so you you have literally three ways that are approved of ways to say your last name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Anthony, <laughs> tell me about trick rope. What's it? The rope, the lasso. I got some clothesline. I tried to do the lasso trick rope thing. I couldn't figure it out. What was I doing wrong? Probably everything. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things. Uh, a rope is used in the everyday life of a cowboy. And the great Charles of Mexico, they got bored, I guess, one day uh, whenever they were pushing cows or checking checking the different ranches and everything like that. And they they found out that they could make the rope come alive, basically, make it all different shapes, sizes, and do different things with it. And then it became kind of part of their tradition and and throughout the years, much like we've done with rodeo, um, the Americans adopted trick roping and, uh, it's been around for hundreds of years. And that's what I did. It's basically where you make an ordinary rope come alive and, and through your wrist and through different things, you, you basically can make it do whatever you want it to do and jump through it and roll it over your body and everything like that. But it's not a normal rope it's it's harder right or is it a normal rope uh so there's a trick rope is actually a cotton rope but we can also utilize different ropes that are designed specifically for catching animals which are basically three or four strands twisted together um and then they're covered with a wax and that's what we would call that's what we would use in competition as well as on the ranches a little different than your normal standard you know piece of twine that uh that you would use in tying up your flowers Right. Well, you're 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 only the uh, the second genuine cowboy I ever talked to in my life. First one was Todd Pierce, become a friend of mine. who has been on the been on the podcast before. You may you know be aware of him from the circuit way back when. But um, I've always been I've always been fascinated 
with cowboys personally i have and apparently america has too i mean it was the dominant movie genre for decades with our viewing uh you know you cut uh, people who just have this thing over horses we uh we love the idea of kind of cattle drives and and there's just there's just a mystique around the cowboy have you ever thought about where's that come from why is that I think a lot of it has to do with it's kind of how the West was won. I mean, from the old days of the 1800s, that's what, you know, there was no, obviously, horses were an intricate part of our nation's history. I mean, from pulling wagons to being the only means of transportation to, I mean, before trucks and trains and everything else, if you wanted to move cattle from one region to another, it was a group of cowboys. And if you wanted to be a cowboy, you had to be tough. I mean, to survive in the wilderness not only to keep your cattle safe, but just to survive the elements and then all the predators that would, would go about. And then of course the, the legendary outlaws and the, the cattle bandits and things like that. And I think from that cowboys were and are still a way of life and people don't understand it. And I think that allows the mystique because they just seem like these modern, these old school superheroes. And obviously, you know, the John Waynes and the Clint Eastwoods helped with that back in the olden days of the the great Westerns and Gunsmoke and Bonanza and all of those types of movies. But when it comes down to it, darn sure life was put into this country because of cowboys. I would love to go on a genuine cattle drive. I know there's like, I know there's things you can sign up for and you take them from one part of the guy's property to the other part of the guy's property. <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I would love to go in like a, a genuine takes you a few days camp out in the middle of nowhere. Cause you're actually taking cattle someplace. Do those things still exist? Yeah, to a degree. A lot of it is the, the big ranches in Texas and Montana and, and other regions where there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres and you got to go gather to whether it's to wean calves or whether it's to move them from pasture to pasture, whether it's to doctor different things like that. So yeah, they're still available or they're still out there, you know, in the major ranches of Texas, the King Ranch, the Four Sixes, that stuff is still alive and well. And and contrary to popular belief, beef doesn't originate from grocery stores. Beef originates from uh, you know ranches and and cattle farmers and all over the country. And and cowboying is still a alive and well, even though it's not the most glorified and not the most, I would say, uh, best way to make a living for so many of your modern day ranch cowboys. It's a that's because they love it. Are guys still on the horse or are they on the four wheeler at this point? No, horses are utilized a lot. I mean, helicopters and drones and different things like that are, are modern day technologies are still used and obviously four wheelers too, but there's so much rough country that, that is only accessible through horseback and through pack mules. You know, you've got your different things like that. And, and horses are still the number one choice when it comes to to ranching. And then through that, you really you're able to make good horses because of everything they have to do and see in the they're basically thrown to the fire per se, where they've got to now perform at a high level and and that's where it all kind of evolves into these programs where the great cattle ranches now produce great horses because you know they've seen and done everything. Well, if in your vast network of cowboys and ranches, which your network is much, much larger than mine, 
If you come across somebody who wants a free laborer for a few days to do that, <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like, sign me up. I'm in. Right on. Right on. Yeah, I'll keep my ear to the ground and see what comes up. All right, great. Well, let's talk about you and your dad. Your dad was a a legend. He was Cowboy Hall of Famer. Yeah. Did, did he do the same things that you do on the on the rodeo? No, actually, he didn't. He uh, he was raised on the streets of Minneapolis. He came from absolutely nothing. Um, his dad was uh, in the organized crime area of Minneapolis. Um, he was raised by my mom because at twelve years old, my dad my dad's dad fell out of a window, mm. and they were involved in a lot of shady stuff. And my my dad's mom raised him by herself and worked two or three jobs. And I mean, they came from nothing. Um, but in the summers when he was a teenager, he actually went and stayed with his half brother who lived in Iowa and actually lived on a, and so he lived next to a dude ranch. And so my dad got a job at the dude ranch and would ride horses and take people out on trail rides and things like that. And he started to fall in love with it. And they, they would have a little rodeo around there and he got involved in it and he just fell in love with it. And it was an escape from all the, the filth of the city the part of the city rather that he lived in and just the poverty stricken way. And it was a way of life. It was an out. And my dad, if he were still around would tell you that rodeo and horses and that way of life saved his life, got him out of a, a you know bad situation. And from that, he went on to rodeo stardom. He fought, he was a bullfighter. He was a rodeo clown. Um, he started training animals at a young age. In fact, the first animals that he ever trained were um, a pair of German shepherds to protect his mom. Whenever he was at school, um, a really nice police officer in Minneapolis because his, his mom had gotten mugged a couple times, beat up. She was an older lady, uh, robbed. And so a police officer gave dad two young dogs from the canine unit that they weren't going to use. And dad trained those dogs to be protective dogs and to protect his mom. And they went with her everywhere. And then from there, that transitioned into training um, horses and every other kind of animal that you could possibly believe in. And and then he made those into entertainment type of acts, and the rest is history. That's really interesting. So he didn't grow up on a farm, yeah. lived with his whole life. He picked it up relatively later in life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was in his teenage years when he started riding some horses and things like that. But rodeo, I mean, he started, I think, when he was 19, he did his very first rodeo as a bear, as a bullfighter. And then he tried to compete in bull riding and bareback riding, and he wasn't very good at both of them or either one of them. So then he got into the performance type where you're guaranteed money when a you know an event producer pays you money to come entertain the crowd or to be a bullfighter and protect the bull riders and things like that. And so, no, he came from the opposite of, of what I came from. You said a bullfighter. You mean like yeah. using a red cape kind of thing? What do you mean a bullfighter? No, no, no. No, they're, they're cowboy protectors. So basically when a guy rides a bull in the bull riding competition, when he gets bucked off the animal, which is the end to every ride, there needs to be another man who has his wits about him that can go in there and get the attention of the bull, pull him off of the cowboy because bulls by nature are aggressive animals. And so whatever was on their back that they just dispersed of, they want to go ahead and put a little snot in their shorts and try <laughs> to get all up in their business. And that's where a bullfighter comes in and protects them from that. Those are, so those are the, the the guys who kind of dress up like clowns who are just trying to yeah, yeah. It, it, you, you, that's a really interesting statement. You said that's the end of every ride. 
every time yeah. you get in a bull, you're going down every time. Yeah. <laughs> every time. Even, I mean, whether you go for 93 points and you, you know, win the event or whether you get bucked off before the eight seconds, you're getting bucked off. That's the only way to get off of a bull is to basically open your hand up and the bull's G force, their power is going to send you somewhere. And most of the time it's very hard to the ground. Um, and then that's when the bullfighter will swoop in and save you. I watched the Netflix series fearless. I assume you have, have you yeah. seen it? Oh yeah. Is there anything and for our listeners, it's really a fascinating series about basically about how my take is how the Brazilians are really taking over bull riding and how bull riding is taken over horse riding and just the process of going through a season, how their injuries, how they last, all that kind of stuff. Was there anything that was in that series where you say, ah, I wish they would have said this or they're not talking about that? Yes and no. I mean, I think you got one side of a, of the story that I think is was a real thing. As we've progressed in our culture, as we progress in professional rodeo, professional bull riding, um, a lot of the old school mentalities of who are these guys is starting to wane. It's just like in any sport. I mean, it's what Jackie Robinson went through, you know, getting into baseball in the 40s or whenever it was or the 60s. I mean, it's what it's the progression of all sports, it's progression of our culture where we're more accepting of things. And so I think uh, I, that was that was from probably 10 or 11 years ago that they filmed that. Since then, it has changed a lot. And, and professional rodeo, which is my main venture and main, my main line of work, and the PBR, the professional bull riders, which is what that was about. Um, but Brazilians are, are doing a phenomenal job. I mean, they're athletes, and they come over here with a different mindset than than Americans because I would venture to say that we are spoiled as as a culture where Brazilians come from nothing, much like my dad did in the United States. And there's a lot of people that do come from nothing. Um, but the Brazilians come over here and they ride to survive. They ride to provide for their families. And there's no option but to stay on. And there's no option if they it's either succeed or go home and go back to whatever kind of lifestyle they lived before. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, but for them, it's a little extra motivation and that combined with their natural God given athleticism and their grit and their tribe makes them just ultimate forces of, of gladiators to compete with. Yeah. Is it that we've gotten soft? I say we, those of us who are natural born Americans, whether we're white or black, <laughs> is it that yeah. we, is it that we have gotten soft or that we just have, uh, options available to us and no no person who has options available to you is going to think about getting on a on a death-defying animal that could pound you into applesauce yeah i mean i think i think it, it, i think all the things that you said go into that but there are so many americans that each and every year choose to make rodeo their lifestyle whether it's competing in the roping events whether it's the barrel racing for the ladies um or whether it's saddle bronc riding, bareback riding, which are the bucking horse riding events, and then, of course, bull riding. But there's just a different – it's like if I don't succeed at this, I can go succeed at something else where for the Brazilian bull riders, it's if I don't succeed at this, I'm going back to Brazil to work on a farm or a rancher to try to to make meager pay and survive. Or if they're in the United States, they can make literally millions of dollars riding bucking bulls and through endorsements, through their winnings – and it's just a way of life that is is available in the United States. Yeah, good for them. Good for them. And, and yeah. how, how many of those guys are are actually making it? 
I mean, I would say the the majority of them, there's different levels of bull riding where, especially in the PBR and even in rodeo, that you can go and compete at. And you can, I mean, if you think about the difference in, in what it takes for us as Americans to live as opposed to what it takes somebody to send home in Brazil, they live together in one home. A lot of them do. Um, they're in Decatur, Texas, which is which is just up the road from where I live, about forty miles, and and they send the majority of their money home until they make enough money. Then they start to then they'll bring their family over, and and it's 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 really the epitome, in my opinion, of the American dream. Hmm. And it's so. And I always talk about we have athletes from Australia and Brazil, obviously, that will in Mexico now um, that come here with a gear bag and a dream. And they got to make it to to stay here, and most of them do make it, and can make a good living, and you know, provide for their families and give themselves a different way of life. So they're sort of the first generation pioneer. Um, would Would you say that your dad, even though he's from America, what what he had in his past was he a first generation pioneer, and he made it easier for you, or do you think that's a different illustration? No, absolutely. I mean, I think in, you can look at any kind of venture or business and if, if there's and it's no different than somebody who starts a business whether it's a chain of restaurants or a construction business and then you grow up learning from those people who have went through the good and the bad time and time again it definitely gives the next generation an advantage you still have to put in the work the door may be open but you still got to be able to stay within the door and you still have to work your tail off to remain relevant and to be excellent in whatever venture you're doing. And so I would definitely say my dad had it tougher coming into the business. Nobody knew him. He was just a random guy from Minneapolis. And and now he's, you know, pro rodeo hall of famer and, and everything. I mean, obviously uh, it makes it, my last name brings a little bit of credibility, but if you don't back it up and if you don't excel or be excellent in your, whatever you're, whatever I'm doing, then I just fall by the wayside. It doesn't matter what your last name is because that only gets you so far. A lot of guys, when they have a father that was really successful, they they try to distance themselves from him. They want to become their quote unquote old their own man. Other guys um, want to uh, stand on their shoulders. Other guys want to just draft off whatever they did, maybe not work as hard. I mean, I've, I've seen yeah. each of those three different things for a dad that really did really, really well. Of those three, which are you most similar to? Uh, I would definitely be the one who, and it was how would dad raise this? I mean, it, I definitely was the one who wanted to not be in his shadow. I wanted to take what he taught me and make my own path. And yes, I chose the the same line of the same industry, but there are so many different facets in the industry. What I'm doing now is nothing like what my dad did. Um, my dad was an animal trainer, rodeo clown. I've not done any of those things. I was a you know a trick roper, an entertainer. My dad couldn't you know couldn't trick rope or rope if his life depended upon it. And God love him for it. But it just wasn't his thing. And and now you know the last ten years, twelve years of my life have been public speaking and and being a rodeo announcer, doing television. All of that stuff is, I obviously use the foundation of what my dad taught me, but I feel like I've done a good job of, of being me. And even like when my dad was getting close to retirement, he had offered to sell me the acts that had made him so famous. Hmm. And, and, I, and I turned it down. 
And he, he wasn't even going to sell it to me. He's going to give it to me. And I turned it down. And I could have made a great living with it. I could have kept it going and I could have done it and everything of the sort. But I was like, nope, not on my watch. I'm not going to be reaping the rewards of all of his hard work. I want to make my own path. Because I think there's, and I'm not taking anything away from anybody that's done that. But for me personally, it was about personal pride in starting from the bottom, much like he did, different way. And making my making my own way and being successful. And I have a brother that's a doctor and and a brother that's an event producer. And and so neither none of us we went into the same thing as my dad because that's how dad raised us. He raised us to be independent thinkers and and to work hard at whatever you're doing and and watch how successful you can be. And my brother that's a doctor was the youngest person to ever to be elected president of his hospital. He runs Baylor Scott White mm. in Temple. Uh, he started out as an ER doctor and now he's, you know, runs an entire hospital. And so it's just like, and it's in each and every one of us, it's about being the best version of ourselves and whatever we're doing. Well, you're doing pretty darn good. I don't know if you know it or not. You're kind of a big deal. You've got a you got a blue check by your name on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal, man. You're that's, you're you're a professional that's, announcer. That's a big deal, man. Having the blue check mark. I see some of the other people that have the blue check marks that are influencers, and I hope you can see my air quotations. Um, and it takes away from that a little bit because I'm like, wow, these people are. They take pictures of themselves and they have blue check marks and that's awesome. But uh, no, I look at having a blue check mark as being basically monopoly money rich. Um, but it's good because if it gives me some relevance and allows me to to reach some people that I normally wouldn't reach or some credibility, then that's great. But no, I, I make a good living. I enjoy what I'm doing. I can provide for my family. I can bless other people through my finances and hopefully the platform that I've been given through my hard work and through the doors that God continues to open will impact some people in a positive way. So that's success in my eyes. What does a normal work week look like for a rodeo announcer? So I'll just give you this week, for example, I got home Sunday from San Francisco. I was there announcing the Grand National Rodeo at the Cow Palace in Daly City, right in San Francisco. Um, kind of spent Monday just with my wife and went to dinner and took care of some chores and fixed some stuff around our place. And then Today has been on the phone and emails and getting ready for the event that I'm doing this weekend. And then I'll get the contestant list of the event that I'll announce. And I will start probably two days worth of research, making notes on every contestant and and different things so that I have relevant things to say about them. Um, this week's a little easier because it's a local event. It's only four hours away where normally I would have to fly out on a Wednesday or Thursday to wherever I'm going. And you land, as soon as your boots hit the ground, you're doing pre-promotion of that event. You're having meetings with the production companies that are helping produce the event. You're getting more and more information about the sponsors and the different things like that. And then for two hours, you're expected to be perfect and great during the actual event. And then go to bed and wake up and do it again. And then, you know, if it's a three or four day event, you're there for three or four days and then fly out on Sunday or Monday, come home and do it, do it all, do it all over again. Do you see yourself doing this for the long haul? Yeah. I mean, I, I do. And I've always said that I'll, I go where God wants me to go. And through my life from trick roping into television, into announcing, it's been God urging me and God opening the doors and God leading me in those areas. So, I mean, I do see myself doing this. I don't, I mean, until I'm probably 
I would love to do it till I'm 60 years old and then be able to do something else, maybe in a, you know, a commissioner type way or running a company of one of the companies that I endorse. And cause I will have a greater understanding. And I mean, I would love to be commissioner professional rodeo or something along those lines to be able to build, continue to build our industry for the next generation. And, you know, we'll see where God takes me, but that's been my motto since I was a little kid. When people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd say, whatever God wants me to be. And thankfully he chose being a cowboy as my foundation. And then from there, the doors that he's opened has been just amazing. It's kind of refreshing to hear you just, just talk about God and um, where God leads you and that sort of thing. It's, it, it seems like there's just a such a bifurcation in America between people who are open to talking about God and believe in God and then people who are, yeah, it's probably gone from beyond I don't believe in God to maybe a little more anti-God actually, which is sure. different, you know. Um, what do you think it is about the, the rodeo world, the outdoorsy world, the that whole thing where it just seems to be much more there's more God talk, more God belief than there may be, you know, at Wall Street or something like that. Why do you think that is? I think it's because we can see God's creation, honestly. Um, you don't see buildings. You don't just see dollar signs. You don't just see, you know, a means to an end. You get to see and live in God's creation every day. I mean, every day when I walk outside or I'm looking out my door right now and I see cattle and horses and green grass and, and this amazing place that God is, has blessed us with, it's one of those things where it's like, it's hard to deny God. And we need you see the natural things of life, whether it's um, a horse's life and, and how they get older and then pass away, or you see a, a calf being born or something like that. And, and even it, it goes into the outdoors type of people, the hunters and the farmers, and the ranchers is because we're so reliant on God. It's not about man because man is, as we all know, and including myself, we can be fickle and very untrustworthy and unreliable beings, but God is, is, a, is a standard. You think about farmers, they rely on rain, they rely on sunshine, they rely on, you know, all the things like that. And it just opens your eyes to where you have no option other than pursuing, listening, and begging for forgiveness when we fall short to God because He's it. That's it. I mean, like, there's no, you can't rely on yourself. Like I can rely on myself whenever the, I turn the mic on because of the preparation. But I know the whole reason I'm at that place is not because of me. It's because of God, because I'm supposed to be there. And I, I feel like that is what really opens people's eyes. And that's like, I'm learning more and more about people that spend time in the mountains. And when you see God's creation, not man's creation every day your eyes are open to, Oh my goodness, this fellow knew yeah. what he was doing. Yeah. That's a good call. It reminds me I'm on my, on my YouTube feed right now. I mean, they know me very well. That's what they do, right? They, they want to monetize what I like. So various times a year, they'll just start jamming stuff in my feed. And so right now they went, Ho, 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 Brian Tome right around now. He wants to, he wants to see people killing deer. 
That's what he wants to see. So all these deer hunting things come up, and they're mesmerizing, right? The guy's been tracking sure. this huge buck and <laughs> maybe tracking him. Like the one I saw recently, he was tracking a huge buck in a suburb in Atlanta, and he had to go to everybody in the neighborhood, get permission, find a house where he could. It was really, really fascinating. So I'm watching this whole thing, and this happens all the time. They down this buck. They call their buddy, like, it's got him. Oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, 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 glory to God. It's great. Oh, he saw fit. And they go into this, like, this this sermon thing again and 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 again. Um, it's like, God created this deer for me to kill, you know, I guess, or whatever it is. But back, back just back to your point, yeah, that, that it does seem like the whole nature thing that does draw an awareness of God inside the average person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like in my business, I'm self-employed, okay? So I don't have a salary per se. I don't have a company that's like when I get hired on at a company, you know, you work however many hours a day. It's all relying on who wants to hire me. I'm an independent contractor. So for me, my eyes are open to when I talk about God opening doors, yes, I have to do a good job. And yes, people have to hire me. But in my mind, well, what makes them want me? I always pray that God touches the hearts and the minds of all of those people. He would like to hire me so that I will be at the places that he wants me to be. And, you know, I promote, promote myself and promote my business. But to me, that only goes so far. There's so many different announcers in our business. It's no different than any other type of, whether it's a car dealership or something like that, when you have a lot of options. It's like, well, who do we go to? So I feel like God is the whole reason that I've worked the events that I've worked, that I will continue to work, get hired the places that I get hired at. And it's then God putting me in a role to do my job, do it at a high level. And then from there, it will continue to abound. And so I think that's where even in all aspects of rodeo, there's so many things that have to go right for somebody to be successful in rodeo in any way of life. But I really think that that draws us closer to God. He's the provider. Are you looking for something to help grow your spiritual muscles in 2023? I want to suggest you might want to check out my devotional for men called Move, a guide to get up and go forward. These are the conversations I have again and again and again and again and again with guys having coffee, having beers, or sitting around a campfire. It's core content that man after man is found helpful to get them to a new place. Right now, it's 50% off on Amazon. For nine bucks and change, you can put 70 days of practical spiritual teaching and application in your hands and in your mind and in your heart and in your limbs. And it makes a great gift for the hard-to-buy-for guy. Head over to Amazon right now and get your copy of Move. Then drop me a line and let me know what you think. You said uh, that God, I'm quoting you right now, God used horses to tell me and show me his love. How, how is that? Man, when I was young, I, I love my dad and I, I respect my dad immensely. And I miss my dad a, m- a bunch, but through because of his t- childhood and the way that he was raised, he was a hard man, very hard man. And there was a lot of times when I was a kid where and he dealt with depression and and 
mental illness is what everybody calls it now. And, and, uh, so it was, he was hard to be around a lot of times Mm. and horses for me, I don't remember who said it one time, but it said the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man. And I think that what, as a kid, whenever it was just me and my dad, when I was 11, my brothers had all moved out and it was just me and dad and dad was, dad was tough to be around. Dad was dealing with a lot of his own stuff that he dealt with. And yeah, he loved God, but, um, he was a hard man and there was a lot of guilt there. And, uh, a lot of guilt. There was what, do you, times, what, 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 what do you mean? There's a lot of guilt there with, with my dad in his, in, in his life, I guess. Oh, he felt guilty. I don't think he, he felt guilty. Yeah. Not me. I mean, I feel guilty too whenever I mess up, but, um, but I'm working on that. But a lot of that comes from how he was raised and my dad loved God, but I, I don't know if he fully understood until the last couple of years of his life, the grace and the mercy that God provides. And I don't think he accepted it because he's like, how can a wretch like me be loved by God? And I think that that compounded and built up a lot of inner stuff within him that then he would then portray on all of us kids. And, and uh, there was times when I was a kid and I'm not like, what was me type of a story, but there was times when I was a kid where my dad would say things to me that should never be said to another human, let alone your own child. And there was, uh, I had thoughts of suicide at times and I could go out with my horses and just be around them and I could feel God's love Mm. when I wasn't feeling God's love from my dad or I wasn't, when I was too young to fully understand God's love for me, I could go to my horses and hug them and they would nuzzle me or whatever it was, or go for a ride in nature. And I could feel God's presence. The long and the short of it is that's that's where that comes from. That's where that quote comes from. There is a mystical relationship between horses and people, isn't there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I'll, I'll give you this story and then I want to hear you build upon it. So we talked about Todd Pierce earlier. Todd's a verifiable, among other things, a verifiable horse whisperer. And he... Um, We've had him at Crossroads now, that's my day job, two times to break a wild horse on stage. It was a very, very aggressive move. Uh, he said, uh, yeah, I go to prisons and I do this stuff, and and uh, and guys just melt. They melt. I said, what do you mean they melt? So he said, well, he said, a, a broken horse is healthier and lives longer and is faster than a wild horse. One, one horse with a man on it can run up an entire herd of wild horses. And he said, that's how God is. When God breaks us or God makes us free, we just have more capacities. I'm, I'm, he's telling me this. I'm going, <laughs> I'm like boohoo and yeah. crying all this stuff. So um, I said, I'm going to have your crossroads. We, we got we to do it. do it like on a Sunday. So oh, everyone says that no one ever, no one ever do that because insurance on stuff. I said, dude, we will, we will do it. <laughs> so I came back. I told everybody, I said, look, I got this cowboy. He breaks his horse. He talks while he's doing it. Uh, we're going to do one a service, and we're going to do this. You can figure out if you're going to tell insurance or not. Tell him, tell him or not, but we're go- we're going to do this. So we end up doing it, and uh, every every service, different horse, and they're all different. And wow. this this last one, and he's done it all, every single one. He's 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 uh, broken, or he, he likes to, he prefers the idea of he's freed. 
a horse mm-hmm. in under an hour. So the one that was the most recent, I thought was so interesting. This gets me back to what you were saying right now about, about your pain. Um, there was this horse that was uh, beautiful, big, beautiful, and it was really well cared for. The first year we had these horses that were abused and had multiple brands and had scraggly hair. This one horse was, uh, it was just beautiful and obviously well cared for. And I asked the the guy who got us the horse who brought him up from Oklahoma, and, and, and the horse had never been ridden before. Big, strong thing, never, never ridden before. And I asked the guy, I said, uh, someone's been taking care of this horse. How, how can this horse be so traumatized and so skittish when somebody's obviously looks like taking care of it? He said, well, let me tell you a story about this horse. Uh, the owner of this horse had a um, had a stroke and got par- paralyzed uh, you know, just when this horse was like a year old or something like that. And since then, the owner's uh, son has taken over the farm and he's got a full-time job. He's trying to feed animals. He's trying to, he's just utterly stressed out and he's, he's got a lot of trauma. So, so this horse, while he looks well cared for, this horse is, is under trauma because this horse feels the trauma with his son. And he also feels the trauma of the stroke. And I was like, really horses pick up on that. He said, absolutely. That's, uh, that's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I think that's a God, a friend of mine always talks about God winks hmm. so much in our lives, whether you're out in the country, whether you're in the city, you can see God winks. The The first God wink of the day is when we all wake up and we can actually breathe it, breathe fresh air and and go on to live another day. That's the first God wink of the day. And then as the day continues, if you keep your eyes open, you get God winks. And I firmly believe that horses are, are, they give us so many teachable moments. And I know I have learned so much, whether it's just dealing with adversity, dealing with having to figure out the animal and how to make them, or rather ask them to do what you want them to do. Or if you're in competition, you rely on that horse as your partner. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an animal that, is, that God gave us to literally make a living on. And like, even now, as I progress in my life where I still compete in team roping, but now I have a horse that's strictly just an announcing horse. So I ride this horse into the rodeo arena and I talk, you know, to the thousands of fans and I announce horseback. Well, I rely on that horse to stand still so that I can read my notes, move if we're getting, if we're in the way. So like we have to be connected at all times and it creates such a bond, and I'm looking at it right now, um, but it creates such a bond between the person and the animal that is, it's incomparable. But it's so much of, as you build trust with that animal, it's so much of, and I'll go back to what Todd said, of us listening to God. Once the horse surrenders to you, I don't like to use the word broke either, because they're not broken by any means. They're, if anything, they're elevated to reach their full potential. And to utilize their God-given abilities, what what we can do together with them, they're not just going to stand out there and run from predators and eat grass and you know survive. They're going to thrive, and it's the same thing with God. Like once we surrender to God, once we give like in that. to God and trust Him, then then together, then guess what? We can take God places that He normally wouldn't have been able to get without us as His transportation unit. It's the same thing with a horse. I like that a lot. Surrendered to us. Yeah. That horse gets surrendered to the, 
to the human and uh, capacities get unlocked and we get surrendered to God and capacities get unlocked. That's, that's really strong. It was, it was also interesting how you, you said, uh, there's my horse. I'm looking at him right now. Your face lit up. Like you were just, I saw you look yeah. out the window and you start smiling like a butcher's dog. You're like, Hey, there's my <laughs> horse. How many horses do you yeah. have? We have nine. We have, my wife is a barrel racer and, uh, she trains horses as well. And, and so I have, I guess I have three of them. She has six of them, but we're, they're all of ours. And, and this, the gray horse that I was just looking at is my announcing horse. And anyways, I can go into stories about, I lost my, my best horse this winter. And I was probably regrettably mad at God. Cause I didn't understand. Cause I could rope on this mare. I could announce on her. She was just the sweetest, most amazing horse I've ever owned. And she was, it was a cold day in the winter and she was running around her pin and she broke her leg and um, it was irreparable. And so we had to put her down and it was a, it was a horribly heartbreaking experience. Well then five months later, I'm like, or four months later, I need a horse to announce on this summer. And none of the horses that we had would be suited for that. And then lo and behold, one of my buddies has this five-year-old gray horse that they got off the track that was a pony horse that so like in a, and you've seen the horse races at the end of the race, the horses that run up alongside of them and slow them down and calm the race horses down and then circle them. And then, you know, whatever, that's what this horse did. And he was a little bronchy and where he wanted to be a bit wild at times, but I learned so much from that horse this summer together because he was just a young horse and he had never seen the sights and the sounds that what I was going to show to him. And it was trying at times because I wasn't sure if he was going to work out, but through time, through relationship, we developed a bond and he allowed me to make a lot of money this summer and to be the best announcer that I could be on his back. And he's beautiful and people love him. And, and, uh, his name's Walter and, uh, and, and now, so now when I see him, I'm just so proud because from a loss, I thought I lost the best horse I ever owned to God bringing this horse into my life. And now he's just a rock star and, you know, I don't know. It's just cool. You said you had to put your horse down. Was that old school cowboy style? You took a, your own gun in your own hand and put him down. You, did you still Have do you it that way? Lost your mind. No, no, I, I'm, no, I'm asking, I'm asking. I mean, I, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen a lot of Westerns. I don't know. You got, you, you what? <laughs> what? Oh so people God. don't put, it's, people don't put their own horses down. I think in some cases they might, if, if there was no vets available or a more humane way to do it, if they were forced into that situation, if you were on a cattle drive or something out right. a long ways from, from anywhere and a horse was in pain that would be the most humane way to do it. Um, but thankfully, in the, my part of the country where I live at, Weatherford, Texas, there are countless numbers of vets around. And right. we were able to get her to the vet. So no. This is a cross-cultural experience. Crazy. I'm not trying to crack on you. I just thought in the cowboy world, I wish you could see, I wish you everyone could see Anthony's face right now. He is like partially bewildered, partially pissed off right now that I would even ask that. <laughs> no, I'm not bad at all. Yeah, you are. I just, you have to understand, it's like that. the horse has become such a part of your life. Yeah. And I know um, it's not, I, I don't want to compare it. It'd be like if your kid, you know, you had to like, oh, sorry, little Johnny, uh, you're not going to be able to, you know, it's like horses become, especially through the processes and the relationship that we build with them. And because we do rely upon them for so much of our 
our life and our experiences. And then the closest that you get because of the emotional connection yep. as well, I could, I mean, and we've, I mean, there's been instances where we've had to put down animals in that way. I had to put down a dog that way that got ran over on the side of the road and they were just in a massive amount of pain, no way to, yep. to help them. And we had to do that. And it was horrible. Right. Um, and nobody ever wants to do that. There's obviously way more humane ways to do it. Um, but at that time, what's more humane, letting them suffer till a vet can get on site or, um, waiting for the vet. Thankfully, everything, God worked it out so we could actually, you know, get her put down in a way that was where she didn't have to suffer very long. And so, but no guns were involved. Do believe me, I'm not trying to challenge your man card by not putting down (laughs) your own horse, the gun. Uh, This is the guy who last dog I put down, who, who many people thought my dog was about the size of a horse. You know, I thought, oh, yeah, maybe I could do that. You think that theoretically before you have a dog. And then yeah. when you do, I'm calling in, oh, what was it called? It was called like Angel's Helpers or something like that. <laughs> right. They're actually coming, they're coming to my house. They give the dog a cheeseburger just to just right. to make him not think of the little, of the drugs they put in it, just to takes the little edge off of the needle they put in them, that takes the edge off of them, all this whole thing. So no, I, I spent a lot of money and time to put my dog yeah. down in as unpainful a way as possible. So no, so no offense about your, about your horse. Not at all. Sorry, brother. But, but no, 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 no need for an apology. But I, I love having these conversations because I always ignorance. A lot of times, people say is 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 seen as a derogatory comment. But ignorance means lack of knowledge. I'm ignorant about so many things in this world, and I don't say that in a demeaning way towards myself. But there's ignorance, and like I wouldn't. I'm ignorant to what my brother Dominic, who's a doctor, does. I'm not going to be able to walk in and be like, so how did you remove, you know? that light bulb or whatever it is from somebody who stuck it up their rear or whatever it is, like all the different crazy stories that I hear. I mean, that's a real story. It's one of those, I off the record yet. Yeah, well, Stick, off the record, we're on a sticking a light bulb up your butthole. There's, there's been a lot of different stories that my brother I mean, has shared with us. Obviously he doesn't say anything. I mean, a light bulb. I mean, I'd rather <laughs> stick a baseball up my butt than a light bulb. I mean, that could break and be really bad news. Hey, producer guy, let's cut that and save that for later. No, we're not <laughs> cutting that. Dirt, we're not let's cutting that. that no, this is called the aggressive life. We talk about the that things I want to talk about. Let me tell you. <laughs> that was highly aggressive, man. Anyway. <laughs> not as aggressive as you saying, have you lost your mind when I asked you about if you put your horse down? You got aggressive. Man. I'm glad I wasn't uh, in Texas right now. You would have grabbed me by the neck. So no, that's just. <laughs> I couldn't like the mere thought of that doing that to that mayor that I love so much um, would just be excruciating. But there are instances, and that's that's another. We go back to the mystique of cowboys. Cowboys and cowgirls alike have had to do things that a normal human would be like, "Oh my gosh, there's no way." But it's an unfortunate part of our our way of life and and what we do, where there are things that we do have to do um, that are you know. You wish you didn't, but it's it's part of the part of the job description. Okay, just one more throwaway question that could make you even more mad at me again. I I, I just thought of just because you just said this, we're gonna do the lightning round in just a moment. But things that cowboys don't like to do. I saw an episode on Yellowstone, so obviously <laughs> it must be real. Obviously it must be real. Is it true cowboys have to masturbate a horse? 
No, that is not true. There okay. are there are there are ways. They're actually what they call would be dummies that are collection dummies that they put mare urine on. It's a it's basically a, yeah. a fake. It doesn't even resemble a horse. I've seen it, but horses are so you know they get stud horses get one track minded. But um, no, that was a bit of a. Uh, there might have been instances way back when where they had to do that, but that's not a thing. They have collection that is far. You know, they bring the stud in, he smells, they, yeah. they have a mare that's in heat. They let him smell that mare, gets him all riled up. And then they take him to another room. He mounts this dummy, you know, the way that he does. And then there's a, a big bag that collects all of his semen. And then they, you know, right. that okay. he's happy. And yeah. All right. That makes me feel good because that's, that would be there's, a dirty job right there. <laughs> I will, I will touch on this with Yellowstone and it's, you know, it's, it's been a good show for our way, our industry. Because it has exposed a lot of people to being to cowboy hats. These used to be you go through the airport with one of these on and you get weird looks. Now you go through an airport with one of these on and they're like, oh, "Are you a real cowboy? You you've been to Montana? Are you from Texas?" And so it's it's Yellowstone and Taylor shared and that whole crew. I know a lot of people that have been stunt doubles on there and and it's been great for us. However, there are a lot of embellishments and different stories that have been told on that show that in no way, shape, or form are are true. So you don't jack off a horse. That's one. That's good no. to know. Give me one more. <laughs> Give me one more. Uh, the train station, not a thing. Oh, okay. No, you can't just murder somebody and take them out. <laughs> I mean, you might. I may, and maybe I'm ignorant to this, but I've never heard about this or experienced this. Um, and the whole deal where you got to fight to stay in the bunkhouse, and I don't know, maybe they do things different in Montana, but I know quite a few Montana ranchers that laugh at that show a lot because of how the things that they do, but it makes for a good story. And at its core, it's, it's been great for our industry and Taylor Sheridan and, and that whole, and now Thomas told with Teton Ridge, like they are doing so much to add to just our whole industry. It's, it's really, it's really a great show. I, I love that show. And, and if you haven't seen the show, and you watch it, there's some really rough, awful parts in it. Don't think that I'm spiritually endorsing it. I'm just saying me as a, I'm just saying me as a man who has frailties and has a rough side. I like it. Do not come judging me when you see, when you understand Beth and some of the things that Beth says, she's awesome and she's very sinful. So don't judge me for it. You know what you're getting yourself into. Okay. Yeah, that's, I always have to do that whenever I'm like, Oh, I love Yellowstone. Most of it. Some of it. No, I don't like it so much. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying all oh, that's okay or whatever, but I also think God gives us a moral compass that goes, okay, that's wrong. Okay. I, I don't mind yep. that. Shoot. If you're around a group of people, you have to, you know, you have to do that just in your daily life, let alone a TV show. So, yes. All right. Anthony Lucia, are you ready for the lightning round? This is when we come down towards the end and I give you a one sentence and you have to answer it like lightning, like, like quickly, like one, two sentences. Are you up for the challenge? Yes, sir. Let's go. All right, here we go. Most aggressive move you're making right now. I am being proactive in my promotion of myself. Um, I've never promoted myself to the degree I am now. But I'm I'm all in. I'm aggressive. Let's go, baby. Now I'll just stop right there. That that's a that's a tough one, believe it or not, for a lot of guys to um, go over. I mean, I, it was for me uh, when I wanted to build up the podcast listenership, or um, which part you do that by 
building up more followers on social media. It's it's really when you've worked most of your life to make it less about you and more about Jesus, you know, he must increase, I must decrease, as what John the Baptist said, which is the right spiritual thing. But then you recognize for him to increase, there's a certain level of notoriety that you need for him to increase. That That's a that's actually a very hard shift. It was a hard shift for me to make, to do a little self-promotion. It, was it hard for you just emotionally? Absolutely, because it's almost like I always wanted to be like, well, I don't need that. If I'm supposed to go somewhere, God will open the doors. I, I agree to that, and I've said that. I spoke in detail about that. But I also feel like God gives us inspiration and gives us feet, gives us a mind, gives us a heart, and gives us a mouth to think about and do things that, okay, I've set you on this path. You can't just sit there in the boat and expect it to go somewhere. You got to row. I've went too hard, too fast at points, and it's cost me. Or not, I mean, it didn't cost me, but it almost put me in a precarious situation. But in this instance, it was like, God is putting this on my heart. I need to do this. I need to show people that I'm all into this and that this is the way, this is the life that, that has been chosen for me. And by golly, I'm going to do it at the highest level I can. And that takes me being out and about and promoting myself, period. That's good. All right, let's get back to lightning round rules. Here we go. The secret to developing a cowboy work ethic. Hard work always works, plain and simple. And anything you do, work hard at it. I don't care if it's cleaning the house. I don't care if it's cleaning up manure, picking up your dog's poop in the yard, or doing dishes or whatever job, big or small, work hard at it and be the best at it, period. It's the only way to survive. The most important lesson you've learned from horses. Oh, man. I would say understanding the process has taught me the most that you can't jump from one point, one point A to point Z. You have to go through B, C, D, E, F, G. You have to go through all the, pro- the, all the steps in order, in my opinion, in order to achieve the fullness of whatever you're doing. That's good. Anthony, is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? No, you're doing a great job of interviewing me. So, oh, you're so nice. Thank you. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it was hard for you to learn how to promote yourself, but I'm going to make sure you do promote yourself right now as we as we come down to the end. If someone wants to follow up with you, learn more about you, follow you, just go ahead and give us a big advertisement for yourself. Uh, yeah, Anthony Lucia, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. It's at superlucia33, at S-U-P-E-R, Lucia, L-U-C-I-A, 33. Um, Instagram, that's my Instagram. On Facebook, it's Anthony Lucia. There's a picture of me holding a microphone, cowboy hat, hard to miss. And uh, in Las Vegas this coming December, during the National Finals Rodeo, I have a talk show every day called Live with Lucia. Um, on the stage at the Rio Hotel and Casino. It'll be broadcast live on the Cowboy Channel app, Cowboy Channel Plus app. So if you want to watch a lot of rodeo and see things like that, you can go to Cowboy Channel Plus and download that app. And for a low cost every year, you can watch as much rodeo as you ever wanted to watch, as well as my show, Live with Lucia. And yeah, just follow me on Instagram, see where I'm headed. And if you're listening to this podcast and on my schedule, you see somewhere where I'm going to be at, please, please, please come up and say hi. Pat old Walter on the neck and shake my hand and tell me that you're listening to this podcast. All right. Now you're making me feel like a cow patty. Your name is Lucia. You we actually said, that. You, you don't call it a cow patty? 
Come on, dude. You no. got to give me something. You're telling me you don't it's, jack off horses. You're telling me you don't put your horse down. You're telling me. Now you're saying there's no such thing as a cow patty? Come on, man. What do you call it? I feel like I feel like you went on Wikipedia. <laughs> I feel like you typed in cowboy. Before this interview, you typed in things cowboys say. First off, don't believe the internet on everything. Second off, if you're going to know what cowboys say, talk to a cowboy. No, they're just piles of crap, man. That's that's all it is. Or if you're watching Yellowstone, they call them other things. So, And sometimes I do too because I'm a singer. Okay, so you're making me feel like a pile of crap. You told me you, you told me very clearly that uh, my, the, my pronunciation was acceptable, and yet you just four times in a row you said your actual it, given name. Your last it name. It is acceptable. It is acceptable because where are you from? You're from Ohio? Or yes, something? I'm from, well, originally Pittsburgh, but Cincinnati, Ohio. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, it's acceptable. It doesn't matter. But what I say, how I say my last name is people say Lucia and everything else. So, I mean, it, there's no right or wrong way. Um, and if you want to say Lucia, I don't care. But how I say it, it's like how I say, you know, I'm trying to think of a word that I say funny that my wife always makes fun of me. I don't remember. But. You ever say, come along, little doggies. You ever say that? Nope. <laughs> no. Never said that. Not one, <laughs> not one time in my life. And I swear, if I ever did say that, I would, my cowboy card would be pulled. Uh, I've, I've had cowboys on. I can't get anybody to say, come along, little doggies. I've also had Irishmen on. I can't get them to say, Kellogg's Lucky Charms. They're magically delicious. <laughs> I the only time I've said "come on, little doggies" is whenever I'm calling my dogs to work my cows. But I still don't say doggies. I might say it when I walk outside here in a minute when I got to go move some cows. I might, I might say "come on, little doggies" just for you. There you go. All right, hey man, thanks for being a good sport. You've really, uh, you've really built into us really well. Gave us some really great lessons and helped us uh, understand a walk of life that most of us don't know. And and most importantly, you put up with me because I can be annoying sometimes. So. Thank you so much, brother. You're my spirit animal. I appreciate you having me on. (laughs) Right. Hey, you know, Anthony Royce shared a lot of good stuff with us. I don't know what it is for you, man. Let's let's just remind ourselves. This is called the aggressive life, not the uh, life of learning interesting things. I hope there's something here that's going to change something about how you live. Uh, Maybe for me, I'm really thinking about this surrender thing. Am I really surrendered? That's a pretty aggressive mood to be surrendered. Maybe it's that. Maybe it is being a little unleashed to promote yourself a little bit more appropriately. Maybe it is your work ethic. Uh, maybe, may, I don't know what it is, but I hope you found something here that you're going to apply to your life and make it better. Let's do this, boys and girls. Let's be better versions of ourselves and go forward and not just think about the past. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.